Jay asked me to read the Old Testament passage this week, and I said, sure, what is it? And he said, oh, it's the big long list of genealogies from Genesis 5. And I said, what did I do wrong? Our Old Testament reading today is Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created mankind, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them and he blessed them and named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one, shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The word of the Lord. We will read Psalm 54, 
responsively by whole verse. Save me, O God, for your name's sake, and avenge me in your strength. Hear my prayer, O God, and hearken to the words of my mouth. For the arrogant have risen up against me, and tyrants who do not have God before their eyes seek after my life. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is he who upholds my life. He shall repay the evil of my enemies. O oh, destroy them in your faithfulness. A free will offering will I give you, and praise your name, O Lord, because it is good. For he has delivered me out of all my trouble, and my eye has seen the ruin of my enemies. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Today's New Testament reading is from 1 Timothy, chapter 1, the first seven verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. The word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson this morning comes to us from Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Elsie, the son of Nagai, the son of Moth, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Eladam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mathot, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Elkaim, the son of Malaya, the son of Mena, the son of Mathala, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashan, the son of Amoninadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arnai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, 
the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Who wants to hear another list of names? We got a bunch. There are some parts of the Bible that are not as gripping um, or as fun as the other parts. But if we're going to believe that the entire Bible is inspired by God, that this was the Bible that God intended us to have, if we're going to operate under the paradigm that all of this is somehow some unified story that all points to Christ, which is certainly the paradigm that I operate under, then we need to be able to read passages like these, just as we do passages about Adam and Eve in the garden, which we did a couple weeks ago, or Noah and the flood, which we'll start next week. And so we come to Genesis 5. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are blue Bibles on the table in the back, and if you don't own a Bible, one of those is yours to keep. Genesis 5 is the first of about 10 genealogies that run through the book of Genesis. These are what are known as the Toledot passages. Toledot is the Hebrew, of, Hebrew for genealogy, and they all start... These are the genealogies, uh, or this is the generations of Adam, or these are the generations of Noah. Genealogies can be interesting, even when you don't know all the names. If you dig back into your family history, you can find out really interesting stuff about yourself. As I've said before, when we're looking at Genesis, we have to consider who the original audience of this book was. And so if we can take the Bible at its word, that it, it is what it says it is, and it was written by who it says it was, then Moses wrote the words of the book of Genesis as the Israelites were wandering around in the desert, having been rescued out of slavery in Egypt, and we were about to enter the promised land that God had promised to the children of Abraham 450 years earlier. And so it must have been interesting for them to be able to read this family history of theirs, much like it would be interesting if we could go back and read our family history. I mean, Genealogies sound a little dull occasionally, but they can be fun. I mean, for instance, shortly after we got married, one of Elizabeth's relatives, who is both a genius and a very thorough researcher, uh, did some digging back. He had already dug through all of Elizabeth's family history, but he did some digging back through my family history. And he found out that Elizabeth and I are 10th cousins three times removed. So that means 10 generations ago, we actually have a shared ancestor. Fortunately, um, when I pointed that out to my parents, they were quick to remind me that there was an adoption about three or four generations ago in my family. But so yeah, genealogies can be fun. You can find out that you're related to your wife. As I say, the book of Genesis is divided into several sections, and each one of them is kind of capped with one of these Toledot passages. These, these are the generations of. And it's, it's used as a hinge to go from, from one narrative to the next narrative. And so this is used to get us from Adam and his family to Noah and his family. So 
I said this a couple weeks ago, and you're going to hear it a bunch more throughout the next couple of months because this book is laid out in the following manner. Um, I, I, I said the phrase that, uh, that this book follows two parallel tracks of people. One is the line of the serpent, and the other is the, the line of the woman. This is how people have, have thought about Genesis for a long time. I didn't make this up. But there's a possibility that I didn't explain that very well. Or, or maybe I should use a different phrase, because what you'll see in Genesis is that it kind of ping-pongs back and forth, telling two parallel stories between these two groups of people. So one lineage, the offspring of the serpent. These are, these are people who are clearly enemies of God. They've rejected God. They're hostile to the people of God. And I was told that perhaps I didn't explain this very well because this idea of the offspring of the serpent, this is purely metaphorical. We're not saying that these are the literal descendants of Satan. These are people who are not following God or the path that he has laid out for, for his people as image bearers. If you look at the last part of Genesis 4, which we read last week, it talks about the descendants of Cain. And so that passage, that was the first of the these are the generations of passages, the first of those Toledot passages. And that's the first example of the offspring of the serpent. The offspring of Cain, each one of them started, you could start to see glimpses of people really swerving from God's path. And this, what we have right here, Genesis 5, this is the first example of the other path, the offspring of the woman. And that's why this is important, because the offspring of the woman is the thing that fulfills God's promise that he made to Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. The offspring of the woman would crush the offspring of the serpent. And it's this line, this offspring of the woman, that's the ultimate genealogy that gets us all the way from Adam to Jesus, which we just heard in Luke. So there's two things that really jump out at me when I read this passage of Genesis 5. One is, okay, it sounds like these people who lived back in the days before Noah's Ark, it sounds like they lived a very long time, an improbably long time. And I don't think that you can read this without dealing with that idea first, because we all know that people don't live for 900 years. And so this is going to be, for a few minutes, a little bit more Bible study than sermon. But when you read Genesis 5, you, read, you hear about Adam living for 800 years, Seth, Seth lived for 912 years, Methuselah lived for 969 years, the longest of anyone in the Bible. And you read stuff like this, and it can make you wonder. For a, uh, for a modern post-enlightenment person who prizes rationality and reason, it's easy to question this. It's easy to look at this and actually be very skeptical and say, well, this clearly can't be. The interesting thing is, this is one of the, um, the most realistic depictions of life back then in terms of ancient Near East literature. Uh, there is a, in, in other cultures of that time, there are even more fantastical claims. There was a record of a Sumerian king who they say ruled and reigned for 28,000 years. One guy, 28,000 years. And so with, with the numbers here in Genesis 5, the numbers are much smaller, and yet oddly still seemingly unrealistic. And so there's a couple possibilities of why this is, why it says this. Why does it say that these people lived for eight, nine hundred years? The first possibility is that they didn't live that long. I mean, that's the first possibility that we have to consider, and that's what people who are going to come into the faith from outside of it and not be believing Christians, that's what they're going to say. Like, they didn't live that long. This is obviously made up. This is a, this is a folk, to folk tale. Like, 
Paul Bunyan carving the Grand Canyon by dragging his axe head behind him. Like, this is just, these are just silly myths. The second possibility is that it has something to do with how the earth was before the flood, before Noah's Ark. And so we start to see this ridiculous longevity of people, eight, nine hundred years. That sort of stopped right after Noah's Ark, and then people started living significantly shorter lives. Now, they were still living 175 years for Abraham and 147 years for Jacob. But then by the time we get to the actual kingdom of Israel, people were living about 70 or 80 years. So that's a second possibility. The third one is that God in his sovereignty had simply extended the lives of people at that time, kind of like how if you're starting a new project or a new business, it's not uncommon to pull a whole lot of all-nighters to try and get this thing going. And so one theory is that God could have simply extended these people's lives to give them more time to procreate, to kind of jumpstart the the project of filling the earth and subduing it. And the fourth possibility, and this is the one that I keep returning to, the fourth possibility is I don't know. I don't know why it says that these people lived eight or nine hundred years. So, by the time that the kingdom of Israel had been established, by the time that the Psalms were written, sometime between the rule of King David at 1000 BC and the return from exile around 500 BC, sometime in that time period, people started to realize that we live 80, 70, 80 years. It says so in Psalm 90. It's, it's, a, it's a prayer about the unchanging nature of God and the fleeting nature of our life. And Psalm 90 says, our lives last 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them, even the best of these lives are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. So these people who wrote the bulk of the Bible recognized that people don't tend to live 900 years. And so it's hard for me to believe that the Hebrew Scriptures would have been taken seriously as anything other than children's stories if they were to look back on Genesis and say, well, these are just silly folk tales. I mean, they really, they believed that this was true. Although you'll also hear people argue that this Genesis 5 passage wasn't really talking about years, it was talking about months. So instead of living 969 years, they say, Methuselah, Methuselah, maybe he just lived 969 months which means he died right before he turned 81, which would kind of match up with how most of our lives are. That would square with Psalm 90. It would square with what we see in the world today. But there are two different Hebrew words for month and year. And if you start playing around with, well, it says this, but it really means this, um, you can make the rest of it meaningless because it says that Kenan fathered someone when he was 70 years old. But if he did that when he was 70 months old, that means he would have become a dad at age five, which is really problematic. So, second possibility, and and you can hear really smart people making this case, people much smarter than I am, is that somehow before the flood, um, people were more righteous and lived longer because God granted them longer life. Now, this doesn't quite square with what we know about people in general or what the Bible says the human condition is. But then they also say that, well, maybe it was something about the water canopy that hung, that it it says in... um, in Genesis 1, that God separated the waters from the waters. And so there's this water canopy or vapor canopy that actually hung above the surface of the earth and protected people from cosmic radiation. And this actually might have some validity to it. Um, People that spend a lot of time in very high atmosphere, like airline pilots and flight attendants, tend to have higher higher rates of cancer and other things that harm our bodies. 
because they work in less atmosphere, so they're more exposed to cosmic radiation. Maybe there's something to that. But the problem with all this is none of it quite squares with what the Bible itself is saying. And I don't have a good answer for you. I don't have a nice, pat, here's what it really means. And so at some level, we kind of just have to take it on faith that this was so. And I have no explanation for why it was, and I don't know why it stopped. But here's what I do know. And this might actually be worth a, a, a deep dive Bible study at some point to really get into this. But here's what I do know. In any case, the Bible presents it so matter-of-factly and without comment on it, and it never really mentions it again, that we can't assume that the length of these people's lives is the main thing that we are supposed to take away from this passage. The main thing that we are supposed to take away from this passage is that these people lived to help connect from Adam to Noah, which is the next narrative. And so it's an important thing when studying the Bible to keep the main thing as the main thing and not get hung up on the side details. So as frustrating as it can be to play around in your mind with how could somebody live 900 years? I don't think that's the main thing that we're trying to be told here. The point is that they did actually live, and it helps us trace the line of God's people, this offspring of the woman, from Adam and Eve to the one who's kind of the, the second Adam, when God, when God wiped out almost all of humanity and basically said, we're going to start over. And that's Noah, who we're going to start reading about next week. So that's the first thing when you read a passage like this, is you can't help but look at it and say, does that really make any sense? But the second thing, and it's especially true when you hear it read out, is the phrase over and over again, kind of the relentless drumbeat of, and they died. Thus were all the days that, this is verse 5, thus were all the days that Adam lived, they were 930 years, and he died. And it says, thus were the days of Enosh, who lived 905 years, and he died. Then we go, thus were the days of Methuselah, who lived 969 years, and he died. It's over and over again. And he died, and he died. It's like reading an obituary. So it's interesting. If you think about the two lines, this offspring of the servant and the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman, last week in Genesis 4, we heard about the, the generations of Cain. They got stories. They got narratives. They got little interesting biological details. That was actually interesting to read, much more so than this. With the offspring of the woman, we just hear, and he died, and he died, and he died. So how can God be using this as part of the great story of redemption that he is telling? I think the answer is because for most of us, for most of us, the faithful ones who call upon the name of the Lord, we live our lives. We aren't famous. We don't get great narratives. We don't get fun stories told about us. We live, we serve God, and we die. So yes, as the psalmist says in Psalm 90, we need to make the most of our days because God is eternal, but we are certainly not. Our lives are fleeting, and even the best of them go away quickly. So make the most of your days, but I think, for me anyway, the, the good reminder is don't expect anyone to remember you in 100 years because most of us are these people. The ones that live are faithful and then die. Very few people living today will be remembered in 100 years. 
Um, most of us, many of us, could probably name all four of our grandparents. What about great-grandparents? You have eight of those. Can you name all of them? How about great-great-grandparents? You have 16 of those. Great-great-great-grandparents. You have 32 of those. Can you name one of them? I can't. I have 32 of them, and I can't name one. Now, as I said, Elizabeth's uncle, who is a genius and super into genealogy, he was able to trace back at least one of my great-great-great-grandparents because he was able to trace back 10 generations of my life and found out that Elizabeth and I have a shared ancestor. But in the course of everyday life, the family that I came from just four or five generations ago, I don't know any of their names. And probably the same could be said for you. Each of the men that are named in this chapter in Genesis 5, don't think for a moment that each of these were their father's only son. It says so for most of them, and we can assume it for the rest of them. And in some cases, these might even be skipping big numbers of generations. It would not be uncommon at that time. You might see that one person would get named and say they were the, the father or the sire of somebody, and then there would, they would skip for several generations before naming the next one. And so the only thing that we know about these very few people is that they lived and that they died. Compared to the offspring of the serpent, this, this incredibly vital Royal lineage is almost anonymous, and yet God used them. God used them in fulfilling His purpose of redemption. The genealogy that we see in Genesis 5, the genealogy that we see throughout the rest of Genesis, the genealogies that we get in Matthew or Luke, these are royal lineages because it leads from Adam to Noah to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to Jesus Christ. And so even though these people only get a one-line mention, they matter very much to God. And we can infer that since the faith of the parent was passed down to the child in this righteous line, even though we're not told this, we can reasonably assume, we can reasonably assume that when we read these generations of the offspring of the woman, that we will get to see these people again. Because each person who is in Christ, each person who is trusted in the promises of God, whether Seth, the son of Adam, all the way up to today, each and every one of them will eventually join this table. All of them died long before Jesus. So everyone mentioned here died not knowing about the Lord's Supper that we celebrate every week, but every single one of them died trusting in the promises of God, which means that the promises of God that are made to them were that they would once again feast with God, that they would once again join that marriage supper of the Lamb, or once again join the feast on the hilltop that's talked about in Isaiah 25, where God will spread a feast, spread a feast for His people that will never end. And so each one of these men who died in the Lord in Genesis 5 will rise with the Lord and feast with the Lord. That's who gets to come to the table. Relatively unknown, anonymous followers of God. People who are living faithful, quiet lives for God. Living out lives of quiet faithfulness and worship to their Creator, each and every one of them known and numbered in the Lamb's book of life. And if you sit here and you listen to me and you listen to the, the story of these people and you think, I'm not good enough to be included in a family like that. 
then you need to go back and read through the genealogy that's in Matthew 1. We read today from Luke 3 because it gets us from Jesus all the way back to Adam. And it mentions a few things in Luke 3 that are made a little bit more explicit in Matthew 1 about what this line from Adam all the way to, to the God-man, the king of the universe, King Jesus was. And it, and it goes something like this. Um, at one point, it talks about Judah. Judah was in that line. Judah was the father of Perez by Tamar. We're going to get to this a lot later in Genesis, probably like next year. But So Judah was the father of Perez by a woman named Tamar. Judah was Tamar's father-in-law. Now, in, in fairness to Judah, Judah only slept with his daughter-in-law because he thought she was a prostitute, because that's so much better. Also in the line of Jesus, Boaz. Boaz, whose father's name was Salmon. Salmon married a woman named Rahab and had Boaz. Rahab was a prostitute from the city of Jericho, a city hostile to God's people. Rahab was a follower of God, and she helped the Israelites take control of the city. We also hear about David, the father of Solomon by Bathsheba. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, who was married to another guy at the time, and then David had that guy murdered. And yet, each one of those people is in the line of Jesus, not because of what they did in this life, but because of what Jesus has done. Each one of these people was used by God, despite their sinfulness. Each one of these people was used by God as part of his plan of redemption. And each one of them will be at the final feast that this table points us to. And so will each of you if you are in Christ. Every person listed in this passage died. Everyone in Genesis 5. And he lived for X number of hundred years and he died. And he died and he died and he died. Everyone in this passage died and so will I and so will all of you unless Jesus comes back first. But the important thing to remember when you read a passage like this that's a list of people dying. Think about Romans 14. Those who die in the Lord are in the Lord. Romans 14, verse 8 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord, so that whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Revelation 14, verse 13 says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Holy Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. These men in Genesis 5, their deeds did follow them. Even if the only thing that they're known for is having a child that contributed to this royal lineage that goes all the way from Adam to King Jesus. God used them as part of his plan of redemption just as he uses you. We don't know how it's going to happen. I cannot imagine that any of the men that are described in Genesis 5 knew that the big singular act of their life was giving birth to this kid. They probably just lived quiet lives of faithfully serving God, of loving God and loving their neighbor. When they were living, they could not have known that the sum total of 900 years of their life would be reduced to two sentences. And they could not have known how God was going to use them, and neither can we. Neither can we. He calls us to live a faithful life of living for him, and he calls us to live a faithful death of dying for him. Because if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. 
which means that his promises are for us. The future that he has promised us is for us. This table and this feast is for us, and we get to come to it, and he nourishes us, and he feeds us, and he tells us how the end is going to be. When, when the perfect love of Christ envelops us physically forever. Let me pray for us. God, when we read passages like this in the Bible, it is easy for, it's easy for us, or at least easy for me, to get distracted, to spend more time asking questions than trying to learn what it is that you're telling us. I ask that you would remind us this week that even though we will, any of us will likely ever be famous or well-known or even remembered three or four generations from now, that the lives you call us to live, the lives of, of being a faithful presence and witness to you are enough, that you are working out your plan of redemption and renewal through us, even though we don't know which one of our actions are going to be part of your plan. Thank you that your promises to us are true. Thank you that Christ will come again. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.